Hey, this is Kevin Weatherby at Save the Cowboy. I want you to tow that stirrup, throw a leg over the candle, take a deep seat, and pull your hat down tight. I ain't gonna tolerate no whining or griping, so let's all strike a long trot down that narrow trail and learn how to ride with God. Come on! What you waiting on? Let's go. I'm gonna tell you about three things that I learned while in Israel, okay? Three things that I learned on this trip in Israel. The first thing that I learned is that you can live without bacon for one week, okay? It's pretty hard. Around day six is when you start hallucinating, okay? Uh, You get the shakes about 18 hours before that. I still have not had any, and I'm not even sure where I am. So anyway, that, that's the first thing. The, the diet is, is uh, pretty, pretty different than, than what it is here in the United States. You know, everything here is kind of like the main meat with some accessories. And there it's like plants, vegetables with an accessory of meat. It, it's, it's just different. There's lots of vinegar and lots of tomatoes, which y'all know how that is. And, and uh, I'm have forgiven Neil for making me eat coconut. I found it in my heart to, to forgive him because he's my brother in Christ, and it took me till yesterday. But anyway, uh, there, there's coconut over there. Nobody likes baby fingernails, okay? You shouldn't eat coconut. Uh, so, you know, you can live without bacon. The second thing is you think you know how to drive, but you don't. You want to see somebody that knows how to drive? Go to Israel. Our tour bus driver could back through a Chick-fil-A drive-thru and still leave enough room for the next car to get by. This dude was amazing, man. There was times he could put that tour bus in places I can't put my wife's car. And you think I'm joking, man. There's times that there is literally like finger widths. I mean, everybody in the bus is like, there's no way he's going to make this. And he just, no big deal. No big deal. So uh, that, that's the second thing I learned. The third thing I learned is that boys come from Texas. You knew I was going to say it, those that went with me. So when me and Ty and the rest of us went last time, we didn't take our, our cowboy hats. We just kind of wore our ball caps, didn't want to fight with them, you know, on the, on the trip and everything. And that was one thing that me and Ty both said, that if we ever went back, we'd wear our lids. And so there was four of us. There was, there was me. There was Abe. And there was Charlie Carnahan, and there was Alvy Smith from New Mexico. And as we're, if you want to see some looks, be in the old city of Jerusalem or in Jericho with a big black cowboy hat walking around, and everybody goes, ah, oh, cowboy! Y'all from Texas, right? <laughs> and so the first couple of days, like, well, you know, we're, we're from Colorado, you know, and everything. And they were like, huh? For Texas, right? <laughs> so anyway, you just end up saying, much to my friend's chagrin, anytime somebody say, ah, cowboys, I'd say, we're from Texas. <laughs> Charlie would look at me, we're not from Texas. Yes, we are. We're all from Texas. Ask these people. They all wanted to know where our six shooters were. <laughs> well, they got them at Israeli Customs back there. We tried to bring them in. As a matter of fact, Karen was sitting in the uh, Frankfurt, Germany airport, and this 
This rabbi, <laughs> sounds like a bad joke, doesn't it? This rabbi sits down next to her, <laughs> it really was, and he goes, oh, where are y'all from? She goes, oh, the United States. Oh, where from? Colorado. He's like, that's good. May I ask a question, ma'am? Sure, go ahead. Why are these people traveling in costumes? He was serious. He thought we were dressed up like cowboys, that we were going to something. And he goes, she goes, what do you mean? He goes, you mean they dress like that for real? She goes, yeah. He goes, every day? Every day. <laughs> it just blew his mind, right? So all cowboys are from Texas. I told Ty that yesterday whenever I called and talked to him. I'd have been there. I'd have set everybody straight. And I said, no, you wouldn't. They'd have thought you was some Greek Orthodox with your flat hat. They wouldn't have said nothing to you. They'd ask where your ringlets were. <laughs> he said, well, that's probably right. <laughs> so anyway, I, I, I had a lot of fun, you know, especially whenever I put my arm around Charlie and I said, Charlie, here's the deal, man. See, true cowboys are from Texas, but like the Gentiles, we've just grafted y'all in to the fold. And then I ran away. No, <laughs> not really. I know that not all cowboys are from Texas, okay? I know that. We could have fun with it. But it really was kind of strange of, of how people took the, the cowboy and just kind of made it whatever they thought it was. They thought we dressed up in costumes. They, they thought we were all from Texas. But there's something else that I learned. As we were fixing to go into the tunnels underneath the... Uh, alongside the original Temple Mount, there's a 580-ton there's a stone down there on, on the very bottom layer of that foundation. And as we are learning about how they were building the Temple Mount and why the Temple Mount is there and all of that stuff, our tour guide said something. And, I mean, I don't even remember a lot of what he said. See, what, uh, you know, if you think about... Why is the temple, not a lot of people, I'm going to be honest with you, I was a preacher and I didn't even know this until much later, that, you know, in, in Genesis chapter 22, it's telling the story about Abraham and Isaac. Now, if you've been following Christianity or been reading the good book or been to church very many times, you've heard the story of Abraham and Isaac. And what happens is Abraham is like over 90 years old. His wife couldn't bear children, but God promised that he would be the father of a nation. And, and he kind of laughed and said, well, how can I be the father of the nation? I can't even have one kid. And he ends up having a kid named Isaac and with his wife, Sarah. And Isaac is the apple of his eye. And when Isaac is 10 or 14 years old, God tells Abraham, he said, hey, you got some for Abraham says, what is it, Lord? He said, take your son, the son that you love, your only son, and take him up to the mountain that I sacrifice your son to me there. I'm sure Abraham was night of sleep, not due to that lag. He's fixing to sacrifice his son. So he, he gathers up Isaac in a couple that God showed him. When he gets to the base of this mountain, he tells his servants to wait there. And in Genesis chapter 22, verse 5, Abraham says this. Stay here while me and the boy go and worship. Stay here while me and the boy and die. And see, that's a there that what we do 
they were fi- he was fixing to go up there and sacrifice God told him to, and Abraham called it worship. See, that is the word that, that we have totally taken it out of context of what the Bible says, what is worship. Now, when, when we talk to people and we say, what is worship? Nowadays, people will say, as a matter of fact, in the, la- in the first three years of Save the Cowboys' existence, one of the f- main questions I al- was always asked is, why don't you have worship at Save the Cowboys? I was like, what do you mean we don't have worship? I said, we have worship. They said, you don't have any music. Oh, you, you didn't say that. I mean, sure, music can be a form of worship, but worship is not music. Worship is not music. Uh, other people think that worship is, is what we're doing now. And what we are doing now is a form of worship, but it is not the heart of worship. Abraham didn't say, me and the boy are going to go up there and have us. He didn't say, me and the boy are going to go up here and he's going to drag out his lute and I'm going to play the guitar and we're going to sing the old rugged cross. That's not what he said. He didn't say, me and the boy are going to go up there and study scripture. He didn't say that. He said, me and the boy are going to go up there and worship. And probably my pet peeve in worship has to do with cowboy ministry. When I hear somebody say, and I, and I don't them, but it's just like fingernails on a chalkboard, when they say, well, I can worship better out there on my horse than in any church. Now, worship is not riding your horse on a trail ride. I'm sorry. You might feel close to God. Worship. That is not what God said. That is not what, you know, Abraham didn't say, hey, me and the boy are going to go up there and do a trail ride on Mount Moriah. That is not what was going to happen up there. Today's sermon is called Texas Worship. It's a misunderstanding of what worship really is, an attempt to get us back on the narrow trail. For the heart of worship is sacrifice. The giving of your most precious thing or things stand in the way. Abraham only had one son, and he waited 90 years, and he loved this son with everything to me. And Abraham said, I will. Of giving everything. It's the obedience of doing what God said, no matter what the cost. Man, there's a lot less things than sacrificing your son calls us to do, and we can't even do that. Yet that is what worship is, is it's obedience to God. It's trust that God has a plan beyond what we can see. The heart of worship is, and it is the faith that God is good. And that no sacrifice is too great. Think about this. Genesis chapter 22, verse 5. Abraham tells his servants, Stay here while the go up to worship, and then we will come back to you. And then we back to you. Abraham had such faith in God that he did not accept that he was going to take all these sticks and put them on there and then tie his only son up who was probably around 12, 10 to 14 years old probably because Isaac carried the sticks up the mountain for his knife that he would be placed on. And Abraham raised the knife up, fixing to plunge it into his son and the angel of the Lord and the child. 
Abraham knew that even if he did that, that God was powerful enough to make it right and that no matter how much Abraham didn't understand going on, he trusted God, he obeyed God, he had faith in the goodness of God. But some of you are saying, well, wait a minute. You're saying that the heart of worship is sacrifice. Man, isn't that some... That happened in the Old Testament. Well, you're right. It happened in the Old Testament. But in the New Testament, it doesn't change. Because in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, Paul says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true spiritual act of worship. Once again, in the New Testament, we see that the heart is once again sacrificed. But no more is it as a sacrifice to death, a one-time sacrifice. Now, it's a dying to self. It's a sacrifice every single day. If you think that you can make an emotional decision to follow God, and then it's going to be easy from here on out, no wonder you're struggling You have to wake up every single day and offer yourself as a sacrifice, a living sacrifice, not a dead sacrifice, a living sacrifice, so that God can use you and grow you and mold you into the likeness of His Son. We are to die every single day if we want to learn to truly live. And, and, and that's so hard for people to understand. But those that are doing it, man, they tell you, you got to die in order to live. Times in the Bible it says, man, a seed must be buried so that it can sprout again and become something new. We have to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice. No more can we think of worship as, as only music or a church service or a prayer vigil, riding our horses on a trail ride on a Sunday morning or any other morning for that matter, that the heart of worship is sacrifice. The giving of your most precious things to God every single day. The obedience of doing what he says, no matter the cost. The trust in God, that God has a plan for you far beyond what you can see. I know God's been talking to many of you about some things, but all you're looking at is, is the next 30 days, or maybe it's the next tomorrow or the next year, and you're trying to figure out whether you're going to obey God or not because you can't see the end. What he's waiting on you is to step out of the boat and trust him. Offer yourself as a living sacrifice. No longer is God going to ask us to die. He sent his son as the payment for sin once and for all. There is no reason for another death sacrifice But we can offer ourselves as living sacrifices every single day. So how do we do that? I mean, that sounds good, right? I mean, you're like, hey, man, I can see you're talking about Genesis 22, 5, where Abraham says, me and the the boy and I are going up to worship. Man, I know it says that. I've read that before. I've heard that before. And I can even see in Romans chapter 12, I can read it in my own. It says, therefore, offer yours as a living sacrifice, for this is your true act of spiritual worship. See where you're tying it together. But I still don't know what that means. I don't know how to do that. How do we worship? The biblical version of worship. The first, we must worship God 
with reverence. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28, it says, Since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, let us be thankful and please God by worshiping him fear and awe. What does it say there? Please God by worshiping him with holy fear and awe. See, we are, a, we are dangerously close. Listen to me close. We are dangerously close to becoming addicted to welfare worship. Now, what do I mean by welfare worship? I mean that we're expecting the favor of God without doing anything in return. We just want to say, God, I love you. I'm not going to give anything to you. I'm not going to do what. But I'm just going to say I love you, and then I'm going to expect you to rain down favor upon my life. That's welfare worship. That God might be a vending machine. Walk up and we put our, our four quarters in or our dollar five and we hit J8 and out comes a solution to our problems. And then we take that solution, say thank you God, and we go about our business until the next time we're in a bind and then we go back to him. That's a vending machine God and he doesn't exist like that. Now I'm not saying that God won't help us out of a jam, but if the only time you go to God is when you have a problem, you have a problem. No more do the churches today need this welfare worship where we can just sit back and say, you know, God, I love you. I'm going to keep doing everything I want to do. I ain't going to do nothing. I ain't going to make no sacrifice, no obedience, no trust, no faith. But I want all of the benefits without anything in return. And what does God ask in return? He wants every little bit of you. He wants every little bit of you. He wants you to make yourself a living sacrifice. Die to self every single day. Jesus is telling some of the disciples about this. And I, I call them 666 Christians because it's John chapter 6 verse 66. And they look at him and they say, who can do this? And they leave. A lot of the disciples, not the 12, but the others that were following, they take off. And Jesus asks the 12, are y'all going to leave also? Because, see, that's, that's the difference in today's society. We want everything to be easy, and we want it to be comfortable, where you can just say, I love God, and that's all you have to do. But, folks, I'm telling you that I'm not saying that they barely get into heaven by the skin of their teeth, like one that barely escapes from the fire is actually what the Bible says. When a whole world is waiting for us. Abraham became the father of nations where he said, you cannot, your descendants will sands and the beach and the stars in the sky because of his faith. Because of his faith in the good God. Because of his obedience. We must worship God with reverence. When was the last time you fell to your face and begged God for forgiveness instead of just a favor? When was the last time you fell to your face and just marveled at who God is? That is reverence. Since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, let us be thankful and please God by worshiping him with holy fear and awe. That's one way to worship. Biblical worship at the heart of which is sacrifice. The second thing is we need to worship God in spirit and in truth. In John chapter 4, verse 24, it says exactly that. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in... Okay, I'm not making this up. I'm passages. I didn't come up with it. I'm just repeating what God said. He says, you must worship in spirit and truth. Worshiping in spirit, 
It produces a change of heart, causing a greater desire to love and obey. People hear great sermons. Oh, man, I loved your sermon today. Man, it was great. Did it change you? No, but it was still great. It's not my sermons that do the changing. It's taking God's word into your heart that starts producing change and a love for God. Obey. Not out of some, if I had at me and... No, that's not what it is. Man, when, when that spirit comes in and you start worshiping in spirit and truth, man, it, it, it plants something inside of you that starts to grow, that starts to... You. What is worshiping in truth? We must worship God how he says to worship, not how we... Okay? I mean, it, it, it sounds like I'd rather just get up here and play some rock and roll music, or I've got a... I can play the bass, man. I've got a cool little swinging... Old cross, doom, 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 doom. I can do it, man. It's cool. But that, that may be a form of it, but it's not the heart of it. We must worship God how he says to him, not how we want to worship him. Because worship becomes about us and what we like, not about what God and he wants. When we start changing the definition of worship, when we take the sacrifice out of the heart of worship, now we are worshiping God our way instead of His way. And you know what you call when you worship God your way instead of God's way? Come to Israel with us the next time we go. I'll take you into the activity, I'll into the church of the Holy Sepulchre, and I will show you what it's like when... Different people from thousands of years want you to worship the way we want to worship, and it's called religion. When people say, you must worship God the way I want to worship God, the things that makes me feel holy, because religion at the heart of it is about them and not about God. So if we want to avoid religion, we must worship God the way he says to worship him, not the things that make us feel holy or feel in awe or feel good, have that emotional high. That's not the way we should do it. We should worship God with reverence. We should worship God in spirit and truth. And the third way, is that we need to worship God with our obedience. We must worship God with our obedience. In John chapter 14, verses 23 and 24, Jesus says, All who love me will do what I say. My Father will love them, and we will come. Anyone who doesn't love me will not obey me. And remember, my words are not my own. What I am telling you is from the Father who sent me. Obedience is a form of worship. It was a form of obedience. God when God told him, go up there and sacrifice your only son. It's at the heart of our worship, obeying. But this isn't, it's not about obeying. Give me kind of a long word here. Obeying, okay? There's no abracadabra checklist that if you, you mix in a little Bible study and you put in a dash of prayer, abracadabra, poof, do Okay? That's religion. When I say obey God, I'm not talking about a checklist of rules. I'm talking about directions that lead to Him. Like a map. I mean, if there's a pit over here, and I say, hey, man, go down this road, but don't turn left. You're going to fall in a pit. Turn right. You can't say, well, tell Him to. 
That's not what it is. Man, he's given us directions on how to reach him, of how to get your life fulfilled, of what bring meaning to your life. Following him, obeying him, isn't about a checklist of rules. It's about following directions about following him, about riding and learning, and you're not going to know where the end is because it, it doesn't matter. It's the journey that matters. So how do you do that? What did God tell us to do? I can give you three things right now that if life and you only worked on these three things, you'll get a million miles down that path. How about this right here? Jesus' words himself. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. Love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. Man, if you just did those three things, think about how if you did them and your neighbor did them and your family did them and your wife did them and your husband and your kids did them and your companions did them and your wife did them. Just love the Lord with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul and all your strength. Love your neighbor and love. That's what it's all about. It's not a checklist. He's going to ask you to do something different than he asks me. But your, your plan, God's plan for your life, isn't going to be any better or worse than my plan because we all have a personal relationship to follow. And you know how to follow that plan is it has to be done through obedience, but you'll never get out of the driveway without understanding that at the heart of worship is sacrifice. No more a sacrifice unto death, but now a living sacrifice. For this is your true and spiritual act of worship. Learned a fourth thing in Israel. One more thing. I saw the weariness of a man who wrestled with God all night over the Jordan River, and I saw a new strength in that man that afternoon when he came up out of the waters. I heard a man admit that he didn't want to do the job he was doing the rest of his life. And I saw the beginning flicker of a life of service to God. I watched a man who has trouble walking and talking, and possibly more than I did, without complaint and without a fall, and heard him speak the words of life to all who would listen. And I witnessed hearts begin to change. And a brand love for God manifest itself with 19 of us in the Holy Land. The fourth thing that I learned in Israel is this right here. And you don't necessarily have Israel to understand this. That deep inside all of our hearts is a longing to give ourselves truly. Deep inside all of our hearts is a long truly over to God. See, we long to soar on wings like eagles instead of crawling and clawing our way through a life of consumerism and greed. We want to know what it's like strength of God instead of the stress of sin. And we hide ourselves in the exhaustive pursuit of comfort from the side of the boat and walking boldly through the wind and the waves and the lightning. Listen to this. And the reason 
that you don't give yours truly over to God is because you're afraid. But you and I'm afraid if you don't. Let's go to God. Intimate sacrifice to give our lives completely and wholly unto you. I'll be quiet for just a second. Every person listening can have a moment alone with you. And I ask in this moment of silence that you reveal the sin or the eye, the emotion that is keeping them from going up to the mountain to worship and a new person. God, reveal yourselves to us now. Father, whatever you revealed to us, to the cross, a living sacrifice to you right now. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.